Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges in the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ talk to Greg Simpson, VP Head of Marketing for Sama. He explains how they help accelerate clinical trials and how the close-knit relationship between sales and marketing achieves this. He also shares a story about something he's done in every state in the U.S. AJ's back on the tennis court, and Vincent discovers the wonders of modern medicine. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Vincent Petrofessa. That must mean one thing and one thing only. It's another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. It's so great to be back. There was a long holiday weekend. We won't say which weekend because we don't know when this is coming at you live. Who knows? But it's great to be back talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Our, our listenership keeps going up and up. I love it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Starista, you know who we are, identity marketing company. We have our own B2B data, our own B2C data. We help companies utilize that data for marketing purposes, get new customers. Our data is available. Email marketing, programmatic, display, connected, t- uh, connected TV, OTT. We have our own DSP. Email me, vincent at starista.com. We can help. Ha, ah, that was a mouthful. Marketing stir. But this is going to be easy to say because this is my co-host, ladies and gentlemen. He's with me every podcast. I love this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, the CEO of Starista, Mr. AJ Gupta. Hey, Vincent. How's it going over there? It's going well. I am in a surprisingly good mood. Uh, well, maybe it's not surprising, but you know, just it was uh, it was a long holiday weekend. It was fun, but it's draining. It is draining being with you know my three year old and seven month old just for that many days straight. I know that probably sounds terrible out there, but and, and, I am tired. But I'm and I heard you had your in laws over a couple of weeks ago as well. I know that makes you a little tired as well. Sometimes it does. My in laws. I don't know what it is about having children now and your in-laws just apparently visit a ton. I would think, okay, COVID would slow that down. Hasn't, hasn't slowed it down. Jeff and Diane are there almost every weekend. Shout out to Jeff and Diane in Pennsylvania. They're not listening. They're yeah, in their I think 60s. one good tip for you is to uh, send retire. your wife often to visit them. That would be great. That would be amazing. I could just have like a weekend. Oh yeah, yep. that would never happen. You you met my wife. She's amazing. She's tough. I love her so much. Anyway, oh, but how was your holiday weekend, AJ? It was good. It was relaxing. Uh, I think I told you I had hurt my ankle, but uh, modern medicine has me cured. Uh, they gave me some steroid pills. I didn't even know that was a thing. So yeah, no, it is. Just uh, ask Major yeah. League Baseball. It's definitely a thing. <laughs> it's uh, good to have you back when you're hitting the tennis courts. Uh, tonight. We'll Come see on, how it goes. Wow, that yeah. is some uh, new technology. I love it. I, I love I, it. I feel like how President Trump must have felt. They got him right back, huh? They. Uh, <laughs> he was. He was ready to get. He's not. He's on the golf course. He's not on the tennis court. But yeah. It's uh, that should be the name of this. I feel like President Trump. That should be the name of the, this podcast. No, it should not be because we don't get political here on the marketing stir. But I love the technology. Speaking of technology, 
What a nice segue. I love it. I can't wait to talk to this gentleman. He is a fellow metropolitan New York area, New Jersey. I already enjoyed talking to him in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a marketing stir welcome for the VP, head of marketing for Sama, Greg Simpson. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up, Greg? Not much. Thank you, Vincent. Thanks you, AJ. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a few, about a week or so since we did a podcast. I, I felt like I was a little rusty there in the beginning, but I think we're back. I think we're back. We're glad you're with us, Greg. For those of you who don't know Sama, please, I'd love to start out with that. Tell our listeners about Sama. So Sama is an AI-enabled advanced data and analytics and automation company uh, solely focused on the life sciences vertical, specifically companies running clinical trials. So uh, we help them take all of their data from all disparate systems, uh, put it together, organize it in a way that they can uh, see things that normally they wouldn't see, and also use uh, advanced AI to help uh, perform uh, activities um, that normally would take a lot longer when people do them to uh, do them in an automated fashion. So really the, the, the key benefit is accelerating clinical trials to get treatments to patients who are waiting sooner. I love that and I knew that about the organization. I knew that with this would be very niche for the marketing stir. So we're glad to have you here representing Sama. Speaking of you, Greg, tell us about your role specifically within Sama. Walk us through kind of the, you know, some of the day to day. Yep. So I lead all of marketing. So uh, really focused on leveraging uh, our internal resources as well as external resources. So I have a philosophy that uh, it doesn't make sense to, to bring a, a, a huge team of full-time people in unless you have work for them, right? So, so really um, leveraging uh, boutique agencies, uh, contractors, freelancers, and, uh, and different resources to, to do certain things until we get to a point where um, it, it's a full-time resource, then we get one, and then as more work comes on, leverage external resources again. So the whole gamut of marketing, you know, from demand gen to, uh, to brand, events, digital, uh, you name it. And we also, we love asking this question on the marketing stir because it's not always such a traditional path. How did you get into marketing? So that's a great question, um, and, and, and I have more uh, insights into that uh, when, as I look back in hindsight than, than I did when it happened, but um, started out in sales and uh, really uh, saw and, and still see sales as kind of the, the hand and the fingers of the marketing arm. They're out there in front of the customers and prospects every day, gaining intelligence, using, uh, especially in the B2B environment, right? They're using the assets that marketing has created and getting feedback on what works and what doesn't. So did sales for a number of years um, and then thought, uh, you know, I really want to uh, do something uh, more on the marketing side. I, I felt like I had uh, learned a lot of uh, sales, but didn't know a lot of marketing. So um, went into uh, an offer management role at this point in uh, my career, I was at AT&T. And then I went back for an MBA in marketing and also got a master's of science in international business uh, part-time on nights and weekends while I continued to, uh, to uh, serve in marketing roles. And I did spend a, a good part of my early career at AT&T. So I did other things as well in between. There was a lot of um, lateral movement that um, was expected if you wanted to move up. So do a lot of different things at one level, then you can get promoted to the next level. 
<clears throat> so um, in addition to marketing, I've uh, uh, done a lot of product management and led product management teams. I've uh, led uh, customer care organizations of you know, over 100 uh, union and, and management employees, uh, been in uh, outsourcing roles. Um, so, so, so a mix. And I would say that the, back to the, the insights I have is I studied psychology in undergraduate, right? So what, what drove me to that was understanding what motivates people, what makes them do things. And then um, didn't realize it until I was in marketing for, for, for a while that that's the same thing that interests me in marketing, right? How can we get our message across that helps our prospects understand how what we offer them solves their problem? Um, and also I would say with, with my varied background, um, in addition to marketing, I think I bring something different to the leadership table than someone that's taken a career path uh, straight through marketing their whole career, where I see things um, more easily from other people's vantage point because I've been in their roles before. And, um, but I do know all the marketing levers to pull to achieve the business objectives. So I think it's, it's just uh, you know, a different vantage point that, that I come from on, on, you know, in certain, certain areas. And Greg, currently, who is your target audience? What are some of the channels you're using for your marketing outreach? <clears throat> yeah, so the target audience is, uh, you know, companies running clinical trials. So if you look at the market, it's segmented into big pharma, right? Everyone knows them. And, and the interesting thing is during this pandemic, much more uh, people have interest in, in what these companies do than, than ever before. It used to be people were like, oh, you do tech or pharma, but now they're, they're asking much more detailed questions about how a vaccine goes through the process and, and, and that type of thing. Um, so you've got your, your, your large pharma, then you've got mid and small uh, biotechs um, that, that are running clinical trials, and then there are educational institutions that run clinical trials, and then there's a whole uh, medical, medical device industry that run different kinds of trials because you can't um, give someone a, a placebo uh, heart valve as you could with a medication to have a, a control group. So, so really we focus on that and there are different needs. Big Pharma has different needs. They have a lot more resources in-house, in including big IT teams. You get to the mid and small biotechs, they have fewer resources and want more uh, packaged uh, applications right out of the box and less customization. And how's sort of the, uh, so it sounds like you have a very defined audience group, obviously, and, and how much of it then falls on sales versus marketing in terms of, uh, uh, are, are you doing ABM or how, is, how are the sales and marketing teams interacting today? Yes, um, so we are doing ABM and, and I'm a firm believer that you have to have strong collaboration between sales and marketing in a B2B environment. Um, it, it, you know, it's different if you have an e-commerce site and you're, you're running marketing, people are coming there and buying stuff, right? This, this sales doesn't play the role it does in B2B. But um, in B2B, our salespeople are out there every day meeting with, uh, with our prospects, meeting with our customers. And uh, we do use uh, account-based marketing to really help them uh, to, 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 to fine tune and customize the marketing for the needs, uh, specific needs of the, the, the uh, personas that, that we're targeting at, at specific companies. Now, Greg, I normally like to get to the personal stuff at the end about you, but I, this can't wait. One of the things uh, that I've learned about you is you've actually run a marathon in every single state in the United States. 
Please yeah. tell us about that. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of, it, it's a little bit personal um, where uh, my nephew has autism and, um, and, and I found that there's a lot of focus on uh, children with autism when they're first born, the babies, and then you don't hear so much when the people get older um, and, and what happens there. Um, and I did find an organization, uh, a nonprofit that focuses on adults and, and, and younger children uh, as they go through their education um, and helping them with autism. So it's not about um, the cause and the cure, but more about helping people with autism um, live with it and educators help educate them. Um, and I wanted to do something to help the charity. So um, I had run uh, New York a couple times and I thought, wow, imagine if I ran a marathon in every state. And um, really my goal was to help build awareness of the Organization for Autism Research. And they have a, a running program where they'll sponsor people to run a, you know, a large marathon like New York or Chicago um, in, in, in fundraising efforts. But um, I realized early on I didn't want to do it as a fundraiser because uh, my group of, of people I know would get tired of me reaching out to them 50 times um, because my goal was 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 months. And I ended up uh, exceeding that goal, finished it nine months early in 41 months. Wow. Um, so uh, really th th that was it, just to, to go and uh, uh, you know, run, run a marathon in, in each, each state and, and uh, drive uh, uh, awareness for, for this charity. That's, that's amazing. And here I am complaining about being tired. AJ's complaining about his ankle. And Greg's over here running marathons in, in 50 states. I love it. I Linson, love it. have you ever run a marathon? No, I have not. <laughs> have you? <laughs> no, I made it to 5K in one state. Oh, so. no, really? No, I've, ne I've never run. I used to run cross country uh, in, in uh, high school and track in high school. I was actually very good at uh, cross country. I was uh, you know, the captain of my team, and uh, I was like the captain of the high school team in like eighth grade, which was weird. But, uh, but anyway, I, did not, I, don't want, I, I'm, I don't want to downplay what you did. That's amazing, Greg. That's, uh, and, and really quick to that, uh, can we name the charity? Uh, get the, yes. Yep, it's the Organization for Autism Research, OAR. Perfect. Um, yeah, definitely. Go, go to their website, check them out, um, you know, help them out, see, you know, see what you can do. And, and I'll just have to say um, that for, for people that aren't runners and don't know, a, a, a marathon, to be called a marathon, has to be 26.2 miles. So um, a lot of people, when I first started doing this, like, oh, I ran a marathon. It was, uh, you know, it was a, a three-mile race. And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> like AJ miles. just did. Yeah, he just Well, no, did. he's called it a 5K. <laughs> no, no. He didn't say I've, I've run a 5K marathon. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I, I always like to, to make sure people understand that, that, you know, there, there's a, a certain, uh, mile distance for it to actually be an official marathon. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You, you know, where, where, this is not my, my, you know, my other question, but just real quick, where do you put all the medals? So I have, uh, I have them, uh, uh, on the wall. I have two metal rods that the, the, the ribbons go over and all the medals hang down. It's in, uh, in one of our dormers. So as you look in on either side, there's just a rows of, of, of medals. That's awesome. Uh, and then Greg, let me get back to it because you know, you, you have a, a unique perspective. You're right. A lot of people, you know, don't come from psychology mm -hmm. with a psychology background to kind of do marketing, but you also started at, you, obviously psychology, but then you did sales mm -hmm. and then you went into marketing and you know, 
not at our company. Our company is gets along fine with sales and marketing, but a lot of companies you hear kind of that, you know, going at each other, the, mm-hmm. the turmoil, right? But having been on both sides, what do you think maybe is a, a secret maybe to working together? Because a lot of people out there are in sales and marketing listening to the podcast. Yeah, I, I would say it, it's coming to an agreement on what uh, each person, each group believes is acceptable. So what is a marketing qualified lead? What is a sales accepted lead? So because the, the, the common tension is uh, marketing saying, oh, you're not working the leads and sales saying, yeah, but they're, they're not good leads. We need better leads. And, and marketing saying, well, if you work them, they'll be so, and it's just this age old thing that goes on, right? So if you set up kind of rules of engagement that says, you know, if uh, marketing gives you something that meets these criteria, you'll agree to have sales reach out to it X number of times, that, that type of thing. And within this time frame, right? Because that's always a, a marketing concern that you have an event, you get all these people that are interested and then nothing happens and they go stale and, and, and their, their interest wanes away before sales re- or sales reaches out to them much later. And they're like, I don't even remember um, what that product is. So I think it, it, I'm a firm believer of strong collaboration between marketing and sales and working together and that marketing has to really understand, especially in a B2B environment, what, what, you know, what is it that sales is trying to accomplish? What's working? What's not? How can you help them be more successful, right? I think oftentimes you'll find uh, uh, marketers want to just uh, have a list of stuff they did. And, you know, one's like, oh, we relaunched the website. We did this. We did that. And then it's like, well, you know, how is that helping sales achieve their objectives? How is that driving the goals of the company? And I think that's where I think my perspective of having been in different roles comes into play, right? To, to say, okay, what is it we're trying to accomplish here? Okay, now how does marketing fit into that and help that versus, um, you know, a marketing department that just uh, sets its goals uh, kind of in a vacuum and says, okay, we're going to do all these things this year. And then at the end of the day, they say, look, we did all these things. And it's like, well, okay, great. But how does that relate to, um, you, know, you, know, you know, the rest of the company and what, what it is that... that the goals were for, for the whole year. Greg, uh, Greg, were events a big part of your strategy before? And if so, what have you done in terms of virtual events since the pandemic? Sure, yes, they were. Um, I've been uh, here at Sama for about a year and a half. When I first got here, I looked at kind of the existing marketing budget and I would say, look like 75% of it was spent on events. So it was, it was a huge part. That's where um, people learned about us. That's where, you know, we got leads from. And then with the, you know, with the whole pandemic, um, you know, no more live events, but um, a lot of uh, companies uh, that, that produced events going virtual. One of our large industry events um, happened in the spring um, and just kept the, the date and the schedule and just uh, tried to do it virtually. And um, in my opinion, it didn't go very well at all. Really, um, you, you can't just take a live event and, and say, okay, now we're virtual. And, and what works, in my opinion, when you go virtual is main stage keynote speakers, right? Because that's just one person talking the whole time anyway. But what doesn't work is um, a lot of the uh, smaller group interactions, um, you know, we're starting to see more breakouts. The other thing that doesn't work is... Um, that, that just blocking off a, a, a number of days, right? So if someone's sitting uh, on a computer behind Zoom 
or, or any other, you know, video conferencing uh, app, so, you know, emails are going to come in, calls are going to come in, they're going to get distracted, right? So it's hard uh, for them to say, I can dedicate the next three days to this event, like they could if they were there in person. That's different, right? Because you're, you're actually you know, in a meeting and, and should have fewer distractions. So what I've seen working is, is some uh, events where they break them up and they'll say, okay, here's uh, the things you can choose from. So you have, it's more like a couple meetings a day spread out over a longer amount of time. Um, another big thing that's missing is the networking. A lot of people go to events to talk to their peers and, and they'll see a, a, a new technology or a new product and then ask their peers, have you used them? Have you heard of them? Are they any good? Does it work? And that type of stuff. And that's missing too. So I think there's a great opportunity for uh, events uh, going forward to have some of these capabilities um, to allow people to network um, the way they, they have in the past in, in, in real life. Yeah, I'm sure all of us have sat through some very painful online uh, things that have gone on for a day or two too long. Exactly. <laughs> I think and anything more are, than two or three hours is uh, too much. for. Yeah, online. especially when they're all pre-recorded, right? So you're like, and then they'll say this will be online for a year. Something urgent comes up, you're like, oh, <laughs> I'll just watch this later. And then later never happens, right? Yep. No, I fully, fully agree with you. And uh, in terms of kind of the networking aspect of it, have you guys been able to, you know, we, we try to figure it out ourselves. How do we do the networking portion? And actually podcast was one of the ways, uh, one of the things we started doing and it's been very effective for us, but are there things your sales team is doing or marketing is doing that's uh, unique in terms of being able to reach out to folks while everybody's working from home? Yeah, well, one, one of the things we found with our business development team is um, they had more success with um, short uh, messages on LinkedIn versus long emails. So from a marketing perspective, you know, we, we try to give them the, we, we do, we give them the content that they would use in their emails. We then started giving them a much shorter uh, attention getting uh, messages that they could use um, uh, on LinkedIn with people. Um, we've also... Um, engaged in more um, small events, uh, more executive level uh, small events where they can hear from their peers and, and talk to them about things um, and, and learn about them. Um, so so that, that's been, you know, what we're finding is, is working better in this environment. And Greg, you mentioned that year and a half within the, the role there at Sama. <clears throat> How has it changed from kind of first three months to the last three months? What, what, what has kind of that journey been so far at Sama? Yeah, and there's a few things. Some of them are related to the pandemic and some of them aren't. Um, one of the things that's changed is our greater focus on our existing customer base. Um, as it grows and becomes larger, you need to spend more time um, helping them in, you know, in two areas that I'll talk about. One is uh, uh, product density and the other is product intensity, right? So you want them to use as many of your products as you have so they can get the full benefit from it. But you also want them, when, you know, if they buy, of the products they buy, you want, to, you want them to use them too. So what's the intensity of the usage of the products they buy? And then what's the density of what they buy? So I've seen the density increase over time, but also from a marketing perspective, um, allocating more resources 
to communicating with our existing customer base than when I first got there. There was not as much going on then um, as there is now. Um, and then as far as the, uh, what we're seeing from uh, the pandemic is uh, an acceleration of the digital transformation that everybody talks about that is on their roadmaps to do someday um, in the life sciences industry, um, it is really picked up. Uh, you know, one example would be um, in the past, they would send out these um, monitors to sites or doctor's offices where patients are going to take the, the experimental medications and they would uh, monitor, you know, how's everything going there? There's a lot of data that needs to be submitted to the regulators at the end of the day. And you wanna make sure that the, all that's getting collected and um, everything is going well. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, these monitors that spend their lives on the road traveling from doctor's office to doctor's office um, no longer were traveling, right? So now you wanna um, be able to understand what's going on so initially it's, it's, you know, people are emailing things, spreadsheets and stuff, but um, there's technology out there that allows you to monitor these sites remotely. So now this person can sit kind of behind a command center and say, okay, these are going fine. This one has a problem. Let me dig in here and find out what's going on with that problem. And it's something I don't think we'll ever go back to the way it was, right? Why would someone want to travel all over the place and spend their time when they can do something remotely and then spend their time focusing on where they can have the greatest impact. So we've seen a, a lot of that in, in you know, creating technology that helps them do that. We've seen a, a huge increase in, in demand uh, for capabilities like that. And just in general, um, as I said, people talk about the digital transformation. It's on the roadmap. They're going to do it. This has really brought it uh, front and center. And, you know, it used to be uh, people, you know, kind of saying, yeah, we're going to get to that. Now it's, um, you know, this is great. What more can we do? Do you have other things that help us do even more of this? So seeing seen a big difference there as well. Yeah, I, I agree. We have talked to some other companies on the podcast that had a focus on digital transformation in, in other areas and other uh, industries. And exactly right. It's, it's one of those where their businesses have not, I don't want to say flourished, but also created or helped companies in greater demand during this time. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, that is a good thing in, in, in that sense. Greg, talk to me about, you were at AT&T, huge company, right? Mm -hmm. Sama is certainly not small, you know, uh, but biggest differences between, uh, you know, the two, the roles that you had there uh, and what do you like working at a quote unquote smaller company because it's, uh, but compared to AT&T, a lot of companies are small, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I did make a conscious effort uh, to leave AT&T after a number of years there. I got a great foundational knowledge of, uh, of marketing and, and many other things, like I, I had mentioned product management and, and customer care and operations. Um, one of the things I like about a, a company that's smaller than AT&T is the ability to just get stuff done. Right. There's no, there, there are, I used to have a boss that called it a, a corporate tax. When you're at a big company, there's certain things you have to do and hoops you have to jump through and forms you have to fill out and approvals you have to get. And he would say, well, that's just the tax you have to pay for being at a, a big company like AT&T. Um, so I like not having to pay that corporate tax. I like to be able to get things done and, and, and really be able to, to move quickly. I, I'm a firm believer of uh, test and learn, which is, you know, try something and if it works, let's do more of it. If it doesn't work, let's do less of it and figure out why it didn't work. What do we need to change? 
And um, you can do that more quickly at a small company. At a larger company, it just takes a lot more time. And I even remember things at AT&T that I would uh, want to offer the market. And uh, it was a, a very big uh, machine in some areas to get things done. And I remember saying, you know what, the market really needs this and being told, oh, that'll be in release two years from now and in three quarters. And I'm like, well, by, by the time that comes out, um, no one's going to need this or, or we're not going to have any customers because the, someone else is going to do it. So, so that was part of the, you know, the frustration at a big company. Um, and, and I would say in general, you have a, uh, a deeper, more narrow focus, right? You have a, less that you look after, but, but it's, it's, it's very deep and sometimes much more significant. You know, at, at at and I managed a $3 billion P&L for some data services, right? Now you go to other companies and you can manage everything and um, you may never get to 3 billion. Um, so, so I would say that the, the thing I like is the ability to get things done and uh, turn them around quickly and, uh, and, and really have an impact now when, when you need to. And Greg, you know, you've been kind of at the larger companies and we are uh, we're nowhere close uh, as big as AT&T or even you guys. But as we're getting to about 100 people, uh, we're starting to see a lot of lot more need for processes. Some of it is good. Some of it is a necessary evil just to uh, manage and onboard employees at the rate we have been hiring. So mm -hmm. completely, I can only understand what it's like to work at a company AT&T size. Yeah, I think that, and I've seen the same thing as companies grow, you do need to put more processes in place. But I think you need to do it in, in a smart way and really uh, have the boundary that it can't impact our business, right? Because I've seen where um, a process type person will be brought in and they start putting in all of these processes and, and you're like, you know what, I can't do my job now because you're saying I need to tell this contractor they need a million dollars of liability insurance before they can you know, create a graphic for me or, or something. In, 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 anyway, so um, yeah, so it has to be something that, that, that doesn't you know, significantly impact the business. And I would also say you need to look for the right people, right? You can't say, okay, we wanna be a, um, you know, a billion dollar company, let's go hire people from a billion dollar company because they, don't, they haven't come up to that. They've started at that and they know how things are done once you're big, but to get there is a different type of person. And um, they, I found that the people that don't have the right mentality just try to put in uh, the processes that they had at big companies. And sometimes it, it's, it's uh, more of a, an evolution to that versus going from, from nothing to, to very rigid. Um, and and that, that, that can impact the business as well. Right, fully, fully agree with you there. And in terms of kind of, uh, you know, how your organization marketing team looks like, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the key roles, whether at your uh, current position or in the past that you've seen that a, a mark, that a company should have for marketing that's kind of must have positions within marketing. Yeah. And I think, um, and again, I'll talk in the B2B environment, product marketing is very important, right? So you need to be able to take, in, at a tech company, right? You need to be able to take this technology and, and be able to communicate it to the people that need it in a way that they understand what it is and how it helps them with their problems. And I've seen it, if you don't have uh, a focus on that, you could easily take uh, the way the technology is built 
and market it to people in that fashion and it's not the way they need to consume it. And I call that uh, marketing from the inside out and, and, and that can be detrimental uh, versus marketing from the outside in, understanding what is it that our prospects and customers need and how do we meet those needs. So oftentimes technology will be developed with uh, capabilities uh, built together. And, and if you're not careful and you try to market it that way, then um, you, you're doing this from the inside out in the way that was easiest to build it. But uh, someone might say, you know, I don't need those things together. I need one from this product, one from this product, and one from this product. And then you get into more solutions marketing, right? So how can we offer them solutions that solve their problems? And also, you know, looking at who you're marketing to, right? So if you're marketing to a, a business person, they may not care all the underpinnings of, of AI, you know, what's going into machine learning and natural language processing. They just want to say, give me something that solves this problem. And, and the, the analogy I use there is um, you, when you go to buy a television, you don't normally ask a, a salesperson to take the back of it off so you can look inside it and see what makes it work. You look at the front of it and say, okay, wow, that's a really crisp picture and, and I like it. Some people may want to take the back off. They're, they're engineering, you know, very technical people that may want to know that and look at the specs. But the majority of the people, they want to see what is it going to give me? How is it going to make my life better? And, and I think so that's where product marketing is important. Um, uh, demand gen is very important no matter, you know, what we want to call it. There, there are, you know, different terms for it. But, um, you know, one of the, the, the key uh, ways that marketing can show its return to the company is by um, helping people that need the product understand that the product exists and um, and getting it into their hands so, so they can they can have it and then you know the revenue flows to the company so um, a, a lot uh, a lot there um, in making sure that um, your company's not the best kept secret right you could have something that solves <laughs> the greatest problems but nobody knows about it Yep. Um, you know, you're not gonna be around for, for too long. Um, and, and events, whatever they are, um, or I'll say, you know, uh, whether it's in person or digital or, or, you know, online, um, that's important too. And I think that all falls into the category of, of, of people understanding what it is that you have. And, uh, that, you know, that, that's where I'll back up and say in marketing, I think it's really important to assess your market, your personas, and, and ask yourself, how do these people learn about things like what my company has to offer? And, um, you know, different industries are different. Some of it, it's all at, at, at live events and, and they go there to hear, you know, great speakers, but then, as I mentioned before, talk to their peers or go to breakout sessions or some people go to, you know, the, the, the booths and uh, talk to the vendors. Um, other people, you know, other industries, it could be, you know, really thick, boring white papers or, or um, you know, or maybe someone else doesn't want boring white papers, they want short videos. So it's, it's important to understand how does my target market consume, how do they learn about what I have to offer and then uh, provide it to them in the format that, that, that makes sense to them. So that, that's really important from a, from a marketing perspective. And Greg, are you somebody that has a favorite tech stack? You prefer certain CRMs or demand gen platforms? So yes and no. Um, we use Salesforce for as a CRM, and, and then there's other tech that, so there was a lot of tech when I got here at Sama. Um, and one of the, the cautions I'll give is um, just, just be careful not to um, buy everything 
if you don't have the resources to use it. Um, I think that there's a lot of times where everything looks great, people get it, and then it's like, oh yeah, that's on my list, I've got to do that or load this list into here or do this, and it just doesn't always get done. So, so you can't take advantage of what you have. And I'm also seeing a lot more um, convergence of MarTech, right? So there used to be these point solutions that, that did you know, specific things, and now there are companies that, that do a lot of things. And one of the challenges there is trying to cut through the clutter and find out, okay, you do all these things, but what, what are you really good at? And what are other things you've added on over time to say, yeah, I do that too. Um, because it can be very valuable to have uh, a, a platform that does a, a lot of things. It's already integrated. You don't have to worry about integrating, but you have to understand, you know, are those uh, add-on capabilities, uh, you know, good enough for, for what I need or do I need point solutions that, that I need to bring together? And, uh, and Greg, you were talking about live events in the booth and all that. You're making me miss, uh, <laughs> making me miss those live events. You know, we, AJ and I, we, and, and Starista, we pride ourselves in going to live events and, and either hopefully speaking at them as, as we have in the past and sponsoring events. So we look forward to hopefully that coming back. But I want to touch upon something you mentioned in the beginning, and you talked about how Sama is utilizing AI to help uh, people within certain industries, but let's let's talk about what are some ways AI is featured in consumers' day-to-day -day lives that they actually wouldn't even expect. Yeah, so so we talk about that a lot when we meet with prospects, and and, and I, I we do a lot of comparisons between day-to-day -day life and then what they do for a living. So one of the examples we'll give is um, the evolution of, of maps, right? Used to be you opened up a book that was all paper and then MapQuest came out and people would print out their directions. And if you'd compare something like MapQuest to a, you know, Apple, Google, or Waze, um, the difference is it's now dynamic, it's real time. So if you printed out your directions uh, in the past, you would go with whatever they said. Now, um, the, the, the map applications, you know, can get you around an accident or traffic or bad weather. And um, so we compare the same thing. If you're running a clinical trial right now, you put together a plan and you go run it. Wouldn't it be great if throughout the trial you could say, oh, no, there's a problem over here. I need to go around this or, or I need to get it. I'll get to my endpoint sooner if I go this way rather than that way. So, yeah. So people, you know, have a, a lot of apps on their phone that use AI that, that they don't even think about, right? So, so just putting in an address and going somewhere um, is using AI. Or you're buying something on Amazon and it's saying, hey, you just bought this, people that bought this also like this. And you're like, wow, I like that, I'll, I'll buy that too. Or maybe you watch something on Netflix, you're like, what should we watch next? And Netflix is like, hey, people that watch this also like this. And you're like, wow, let's watch that and you like it. So it's, it's, it's all around us and, and I don't think we, we realize it, right? So it, it's, it's, um, getting smarter, making our lives easier and more enjoyable. And, um, and, and that's where it's, uh, you know, that, that kind of outside in marketing that I was talking about, right? It's helping us solve problems that we didn't even know we had, you know, it's, we, I don't know that anyone ever sat down and said, boy, I have no idea what movie I want that want to watch next or what I want to buy online next. I wish someone would tell me, um, usually people think, oh, I know what I like and what I want. And then when it happens, they're like, wow, I didn't even Think of watching that movie or, or, or think about buying that thing so it, it's all around us and, and you know even uh you know with iphone you doing facial recognition um and, and you know it just it evolves more and more and, and um things that that we would never have thought about there's technology out there 
that can look at students' uh, essays or, or uh, you know, uh, research papers that they turn in and scan it for plagiarism, you know? So, um, oh, wow. yeah, so, so and, and um, one, one of the things that, that uh, you know, we re recently had success with is using AI to listen to people's coughs and then it can tell you whether it sounds like a cough of a COVID-19 patient or someone that doesn't have COVID-19. So it, it's, it's, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, that that's something that you wouldn't think that technology is replacing something that exists, right? You wouldn't think of somebody listening to coughs all day and saying, you've got it, you don't. But AI can do that. Um, and, uh, you know, in, with machine learning, the more it does, the more data it sees, the smarter it gets, the, the, the greater its ability uh, becomes to do things. So there, there's a lot in our everyday lives that, that uh, where AI is happening that, that, you know, we're not even aware. No, that's interesting. You know, because you, some of them you know of, but others you're like, wait a minute, really? That's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, also something else in our everyday lives as business professionals, LinkedIn is mm -hmm. part of our everyday lives, right? And this is a signature question here, Greg, on the Marketing Stir podcast with your, someone with your title of VP, head of marketing. I'm sure people are reaching out to you all the time. Mm -hmm. What is a message that gets Greg Simpson's attention? And what is a pet peeve, a LinkedIn message pet peeve? So I would say something that gets my attention is something that's going to help me do what, what I need to do, solve a problem, you know, in, in my job or um, something that, 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 that is, is, it's about me. There's a benefit to me in it. I look at it and I see that. On the flip side, my pet peeve is messages that are about the sender. Hey, I need a minute of your time. Hey, sorry, this is the fifth time I'm reaching out to you. We're going to have to break up or, you know, like, in, in, or, <laughs> You know, a pet peeve is, is the, the person that says, this is the fifth time I'm reaching out to you, you know, please let me know if you're interested. And I'm like, interested in what? You know, I, I don't, I, you get so many of them. It's like, if you just said, my company does this, you know, um, that would be more helpful. But yeah, so sometimes there's a disconnect there. Um, but I would, I would definitely say, you know, when, when I can look at something and say, okay, yes, that's, there's, there's a reason I should read more about this and, and potentially meet with this person because there's value to me versus value to them. Could get anything fun you've been doing during the quarantine, any more marathons planned? Yeah. So, so a lot of my uh, running has become uh, virtual uh, in, in the, the events have become virtual. The running is real. Um, <laughs> so uh so I just uh, finished up a, a challenge through the, the Boston Athletic Association, who's the, the, they're the group that puts on the Boston Marathon. They had a, a, a virtual challenge, uh, October, November, December, to run a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon. So, and then you go to their website and you put in your time and, and whatever. So I did that. And my current challenge is now um, running between, uh, I guess, Thanksgiving or Black Friday and Christmas, um, uh, 100,000 meters or, or 100 kilometers. Um, and it's a, another organization where there's a website, you put your, your things in there. I also did one that, that uh, <laughs> an interesting one where I ran uh, 100 miles and um, it, the, the, uh, they, they sent you a medal and it was a Corona Lisa. 
So it was Mona Lisa with a mask <laughs> and gloves. That's funny. Um, and then the nice thing about that one is they have a, an online group on social media. So you, you're seeing people as they're running, you know, their, their, their runs and how close they are getting to achieving the hundred miles. So it's a, you know, a whole online virtual community. So yeah, still running, just not, uh, you know, towing the, the, the starting line with, with a, a bunch of people around me. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, meeting, you know, more people like me online. So, so, you know, that's been enjoyable, especially, you know, being kind of, you know, locked in. And how do you kind of motivate yourself when you're on mile 50 and you have 50 more miles to go? Uh, what are you thinking about as you're running and what's kind of uh, your advice to somebody who has never run a marathon? How do you even begin to kind of think about running one? Yeah, I, I break it down into small pieces, and it, and it's it started out with my first marathon. I, I you know looked up a, a training program, and it starts out with you know running short distances, and then they get longer. You do long runs on the weekend, and it builds up. And it was funny because I did a marathon, I did New York, then I went back to graduate school. As I said, it was you know uh, on nights and weekends while I worked full time. Then when I graduated, I did another New York marathon, and I compare the two. Uh, at the time, I said, you know what, this graduate school is, is just like uh, running a, a marathon, you know, it's like I took, signed up for a couple classes, took them, then more classes, and before you know, all of a sudden you've completed and you have your degree. Same thing with running a marathon, it was little bits at a time, but, but from a, a, a mental perspective, I do the same thing. I, I, uh, before uh, uh, GPS watches, I used to do a lot of math, okay, you know, what's my pace, if I stay at this pace, and I have this many more miles, how much longer is it? Um, and, and also break things down into smaller parts. You know, if you get, uh, if you run three miles uh, on a regular basis, when you have three miles left in the race, you say, oh, all I have left is what I do, you know, on a regular basis. Um, uh, also, uh, you know, as I did uh, the marathons in every state, I, I started um, trying to get more productive. So there was a time where I ran a, a marathon on a Saturday and then another one on a Sunday. And the, the way I dealt with that was just saying, you know what, uh, there are people that run, uh, you know, uh, over 50 miles, you know, they run ultra marathons, right? So it's just like, a, you know, 26.2 times two. So it's a little over a 50 mile race, but I get to break it up and, uh, you know, have dinner and go to sleep and drive to another state um, and, and do it. So, so kind of breaking it up into its, its smaller parts that, that seem more doable. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, we, we appreciate you sharing uh, all of your, your wisdom with us, Greg, uh, your experience there. We love what you're doing at Sama. You've been a great guest. You're in great shape. Uh, you know, we, we love that too. Uh, this has been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please check out. It's Greg Simpson. He is the vice president, head of marketing at Sama. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. I am Vincent Petrofessi, the Vice President of B2B Products here at Starista. That's AJ Gupta, the CEO and founder. This has been another episode. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.